Good morning. Uh, I was going to say, my name is Sean. I just introduced myself a second ago. I'm, I'm still me, um, and I'm really glad to be here this morning. Thank you guys for being a part of our services. Uh, this is the one service of this weekend where all of the MANA guys are actually, the, the bike riders, are actually in this service. I don't know. I see one of them down here in front. I don't know where the rest of the guys are. But if you're with MANA on that bike ride, would you do me a favor and raise your hand so all of us can see you? Okay, there is. Okay. Oh, you guys are spread out. All right. Thank you, guys. Um, so they're raising fifty thousand dollars in this five hundred uh, on this five hundred mile uh, ride, and uh, I, t- I told I told Garrett I think Grace Church might be able to match that, and by Grace Church I meant you. That's what I meant when I said that. So I listen like how cool would it be if we could double what's given to those pro- that project in in Kenya? We're going to be able to go see them in three weeks. There's nine of us that are going to uh, to Mombasa. We're going to meet Bill Hot and Pastor John on 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 one on one on that's not right. Pastor John is what his name is for sure. I'm going to be able to meet him. And so if you follow me on social media or Facebook or, or even I make sure it gets reposted to the church, uh, you guys can actually see our church. You'll recognize people from our church family uh, in some of those scenes you just saw uh, in the video. Really excited about it. Bruce O'Neill, the founder of, of MANA, uh, is, is also here today. Uh, Garrett, my son, was the one that mentioned him. Um, Bruce, I'm going to ask you, can, listen, so here's the thing. Bruce was a missionary. He's, he's from Dallas. He was a businessman. And uh, after he was a businessman, and by his own accord, his wife would tell you he was fast becoming the world's worst husband. And then God got a hold of his heart at a church service he didn't want to go to. <laughs> and as a grown man making tons of money, God changed his heart. And he's like, I need to make a ton of difference. That's what I need to do. And he ended up becoming a missionary in the Philippines. And as a missionary in the Philippines, here he is trying to tell people to turn from sin and begin following Jesus. But it's hard to get people to focus on their spiritual needs when they have no idea how they're going to feed their kids today. So he's like, dang it, I I think I have to feed them so I can talk to them about Jesus. But how do I do that? So he started raising money from the states. Will you pay to just feed kids food every day? So that I can talk to them and their parents about Jesus. And it worked. It, like, it, did, it, it was phenomenal. And then uh, other missionaries and church planters around the world were like, that would be awesome. And that's how MANA actually got started. It got started by a missionary who was just doing whatever it took to help people who were hurting get some relief so that they could have some emotional margin to focus on their relationship with God. Now they're in, uh, Bruce, how many different projects does MANA have around the world now? About 240 projects around the world in how many different countries? 40 different countries. And one of them is North Korea. They, they have a noodle factory in North Korea that employs people that's run by a guy who's starting secret Bible studies, which means that this can't go on the Internet now because I just outed that dude. Um, but do you mind standing? I just want our, ch- we've been talking about manna since the founding of our church, and you've been an integral part of our church's mission. Can we say thank you? So if you get a chance to talk to Bruce after the service, that'd be, that'd be phenomenal. They're doing a lot of good in a lot of places around the world for a, a man, just a, 
a ton of, ton of people. Uh, we went, they connected us to a mission project in Sierra Leone, and we went there a few years ago. And Sarah Gannon found out that one of the girls that was raised in the orphanage was about to graduate from the school that Mana had started that we're helping to fund, and, uh, but wasn't go- had, had been accepted into university but wasn't going to be able to go because it was $1,000 a year, and there's no way in the world her, her family would ever be able to come up with, with that much money. When you, when you make $50 a month, $1,000 a year might as well be a million, right? And so Sarah Gannon, whose family is a part of this location, uh, her, her uncle actually is one of the guys that lets, opens the door for you every single uh, weekend, and, and her aunt opens up the door on that side usually, but Sarah Gannon has actually paid for that girl to go all the way through university there in Sierra Leone. And, well, sure, we could. <laughs> She's not here in this service, but I'll, I'll let her know you appreciate her. Um, but for those of us who are going to uh, uh, Mombasa uh, later on this month, uh, some of us are going to get the opportunity for that. And so our offerings today is, is actually going, going to help them um, do that, connect, connect people's physical needs to their, their spiritual needs and to, and to make a difference. So it's, it's a really, really cool thing that we get to be a part of through them. Um, last week, we finished a series, a month-long series in the month of August. This is my first weekend back since the beginning of August because every August we let different uh, location pastors and youth leaders uh, speak in the different services in the different uh, locations. But last week uh, we looked at the movie Goonies and we used Goonies as the metaphor for what we were looking at uh, in the scriptures. How many of you guys have seen Goonies in person? Uh, how many see Goonies? Raise your hand. How many saw it in the theater? Just want to see who all the old people are. All right. That was the very first, first movie I ever saw in the theater. And then like a month later, I saw Back to the Future so in the theater. So that was like, that was like a perfect summer right there, right? That was, a, that was amazing. But I, I love Goonies because the, all of the actors in Goonies are exactly my age. Sean Astin and I are only five months apart um, in, in age. And I just remember thinking, oh, my word, they're famous and they're my age. My life sucks. And that was the first time I started struggling with Self-esteem issues also, for which I've been in counseling. Uh, Keep praying for me. Um, But we talked about community. So we were looking at the relationship uh, between those guys and how it affected other people and how adversity affected their relationships with each other. We use that as the metaphor for what the Bible has to say about the kind of community that we should experience within our own church family. So we saw that spiritual community helps us set direction in life. That it keeps us moving in life when we get stuck, and all of us get stuck at different times in our life, and it also helps us to continue growing in our relationship with God and other people. The idea behind the the teaching last week is that when a church begins to feel more like an extended family than it does just a religious nonprofit, it becomes a magnet to people who are looking for a real connection to God and a healthy connection to other people. And today we're starting a new three-week series. Uh, going a little bit deeper into the things that make healthy community possible in a local church family. A uh, healthy community of people is what God says that the church should be, uh, that, that genuinely care for each other and genuinely care uh, about other people that aren't a part of their church yet. My concern and the reason why we're talking about this is that my concern uh, is that church, for most of us, is, is just a one-hour service on the weekend. Um, where uh, you show up, uh, you sit in rows like in a theater, and then a guy gets up on a stage under lights and on a camera and just talks to you for, I was going to say 35 minutes, but my wife is in this service and she'd say more like 45, let's be honest, right? Uh, 45 minutes about what God, what he's learned from God this past week. 
you don't get an opportunity to reflect on that or, 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 or ask questions or interact or dialogue about anything I'm saying. And then after it's done, we, we sing a song and everybody gets back in their cars and, and goes back to the real world. And, and everything that happens for this hour in 10 minutes is just disconnected from anything else. And because of that, church starts to feel more like just a religious organization than it does an extension of who I am as a person that affects every, every day of our life. Um, but the Bible actually uses, it doesn't use corporate words to describe the, the church. It, it uses familial words to describe what the church is supposed to be. And I just, I just don't think it is that for most of us. But it, it could be that for all of us. That's what God intended it to be. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, now he's writing to the church in Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, which was not the center of Judaism, and Paul being a Jew, raised... Uh, to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had been sent by God to help those who were not descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to know and to follow the rescuer that God sent through their descendants. Now, this is a cool thing. That's what God told Abraham all the way back in the beginning would happen. He said, through you, all the nations of the world will have an opportunity to know and to follow me. And that's what Paul gets about doing. One of the churches that he started was, was here in modern-day Turkey, uh, ancient Ephesus. And here's what he said in chapter 2, verse 19. He said, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. What he says is that there's, you're no longer outsiders to what God is wanting to do. And so there are some of us who probably feel when it comes to religion, when it comes to spirituality or Christianity, uh, that we, we kind of feel like outsiders. And so you, you maybe you've been here for a month or maybe even a year, but you still kind of feel like you're on the fringes. Like, this is just, like, you kind of show up a little bit, and then, but, like, it's not, like, you, you still just, you just feel, you feel like a stranger and a foreigner is, is how you feel. And what I want you to know from the Bible is that it's not God's intention that you, you keep feeling that way here. Like, God doesn't want you to feel like you're just a guest. And a lot of us do. And now, if, if you do, I, I want that to be because it's what you chose to do, not because it wasn't what we were willing for you to become. I didn't really say that sentence right out. If I was writing it, I would have written it better. But like, if I, I'm not trying to force anybody to become anything they don't want to be, but dear God in heaven, if you're where you're at, let it not be because we didn't make room for you. Right? That's all I'm saying. He says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens with all of God's people, God's holy people. You are members of God's family. That's what God, that's the wording that God uses to describe the way this should feel. Now, obviously, in a room with this many people, you're not all coming to my house for lunch today, right? Now, my son is in town. I do hope to go out to dinner with him. We're probably not going back to the house. I already talked to my wife this morning. We're going to go out to eat somewhere, and I'm going to pay for his meal. And if you happen to be at that same restaurant, I'm not paying for your meal. Right? I don't know you like that. Don't come at me. Right? You're going to say, that, send my receipt. <laughs> that guy's paying for my bill right over there. He's my pastor. I'm his family. He said so this morning. Actually, I'm going to send you my mortgage. <laughs> right? You should be calling me. My kids, if they ask for a down payment on a house, I'm going to help with that. Right? And you're going to say, well, I'm family, you said. Right? So, yeah, it's not, well, it's supposed to, well, crap. Now I just wish I hadn't said all of that. But the thing is, it's like if you're in dire straits, found out, listen, there's been, there's been more death connected to people in our church this past week, man, than any single week in the past 
year and a half, there's a lot of people in our church family who are just, just dying on the inside. Sorry. Ooh. Sat with a young couple in our church whose two-year-old baby died on Friday morning. Right? Here's the thing. Church is now a whole lot more than a religious organization for them. Right? Because we have the opportunity to be for them what they really need right now. And that's spiritual backup. So at the end of the service, if, even if I don't remember it, I want you to remember it. I'm not going to give you their names because I don't have their permission to share their story. But I want you to begin praying for them because we're their backup, right? Like church is supposed to not, not just be a service that you go to once a week. Dang it, these are the people that should be a part of your life, that should care when you lose your job, that watch your kids when you're going in to get tested, right? Like that's, like that's, that's, the, way, that's the way it should be. And truthfully, that's the way it is for some of us. And it's, and it's not for others in, in here. So that's the reason why I want this to be that for every single person who's a part of our church family. Because that's what God wants it to be for you. And it's not that it replaces your family. That's where I was going with the whole, the whole helping with the mortgage and the college and the bills and, and all that kind of stuff. Is It's not to replace your, your family. It's to be like an extended family. It's like, right, like that second layer of forever backup. Because the truth is, we're going to be spending eternity with, I don't, at least some of us in here, I don't know about all y'all. <laughs> Right? Like, this is going to be our family for all of eternity. God's just given us the privilege to get to know each other now on this side, which is kind of cool. That's what he intends it to be. So what I want to do before we get into what it looks like to, to like actually make this place feel like an extended family is I want to talk about how you get into the family. Because it's really popular to say that everybody, all of us, are God's children, is that true? Now, I know for sure the Bible says that all of us are created by God. That's true. All of us are created in the image of God. That's true. But is it true that everybody is already a child of God? Is that what the Bible teaches? Last week, we were in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, when it was describing the way that the church, that, by the way, the church went from 120 people on one Sunday to the very next weekend when Peter preached, the very first sermon ever preached, the church grows from 120 to 3,120. So the very first church was a mega church. But how did they actually? So they did organize. They did because how could 12 guys, the, the 12 disciples, uh, Judas had died, but Matthias had taken his place. How did those 12 guys, for span of care, how do they take care of 3,000 people? I mean, they, they can't, even in a church like this, like, I'd, like there's not 3,000 people, but there's too many people for me to be at everybody's funeral and to do everybody's wedding and to pray with every single person here who goes through. So what we do is we do get organized for the sake of span of care, which is the same thing they did, and that's what it talks about in verse 42, 47. So there is an organized part to our church family, but the organization exists to support taking care of people. The taking care of the people doesn't exist to build the organization. Does that make sense? So in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, he describes the way that they broke up into smaller groups to actually take care of each other. But earlier in that chapter, right in the middle of Peter's sermon, he explains what it takes to be in the family in the first place. And that's what I want us to look at. Acts chapter 2, verse 23 says this. Now remember, it's, this is this Peter. If you want to read the whole sermon, you've you got to read Acts chapter 2 on your own time. 
It's like if you showed up late to church and you just opened up the back doors and walked into the auditorium, you'd be in the middle of the sermon. Right now, somebody would be walking in and this, they would get it in the middle. So by us going to verse 23 in Acts chapter 2, we're opening up the door of the auditorium late, stepping into the middle of Peter's sermon. All right? If you want to know what's in there, you can actually read it, but we're hopping into the middle of the sermon. Verse 23 says, But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. It wasn't an accident. Part of a prearranged plan. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you Jews nailed him to a cross and, and, kill, and killed him. So what Peter does here is he makes all humanity complicit in the death of, of Jesus. Jews and Gentiles. That's Jews and non-Jews. That's everybody, right? So he says, with the help of Gentiles, you Jews, like, we're all complicit in the death of Jesus. Verse 24 says, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For God could not keep him, for death could not keep him uh, for crud, for death could not keep him uh, in, in its grip. And that right there, that verse 24, the idea that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and rose from the dead, that is the entire summation of the good news of the entire Bible. But it's not good news unless you know what the bad news is first, which is part of what I was able to share with that young couple this weekend in response to questions that they, that they were asking. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 of Paul's preaching, I think it's in verse 3 or maybe it's in verse 4, where Paul says, I want to remind you that I shared with you, first of all, that which was most important, that was shared with me, first of all, which is most important, that Jesus died according to the scriptures and he was buried and he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. And then, and then Paul gives a whole bunch of names of people who are still alive, who are witnesses of the resurrected Jesus. In case you don't believe me, go talk to somebody, which became the most compelling evidence for the resurrection of Jesus and why the church grew fastest during the lifetime of eyewitnesses than at any other time in history. Because it's all based on the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus. And even when I go down the wormhole, questioning my own faith, watching all the YouTube videos that you've watched, it's the resurrection that brings me back to God. There's just too much evidence for it. Jesus really did raise from the dead. Why does that matter? I'm talking with this other person. I asked, have you ever been to a court before? Yeah. You ever stood before a judge before? Yeah. Does a judge care how many little leagues you've coached in your lifetime? No. Why? Because the only thing the judge cares about is whether or not you're innocent or guilty. That's what good judges do. A good judge just wants to determine, are you innocent or guilty of the crimes for which you're accused? And the truth is, every single person has broken God's laws. We've all become guilty. We've all committed crimes against the Ten Commandments. We've all sinned against our fellow man. I don't have to go through all ten of them, but the first one is, don't make anybody else more important to you than God. I've done that with my wife. I've done that with my kids. I've done that with girlfriends. I've done that with fantasy football, Right? I've done it with I've done it with every I've done it with money I've done it with jobs you have too so don't judge me right second one is is uh, don't pray to anybody else but me I remember as a six year old my grandma died and started praying to my grandma my dad said Dad what are you doing I'm praying to grandmommy and he, and he, or grandmama and he, and he said listen we, we don't pray to anybody else but God but I'm I'm sure I'm sure God knows her. So you want to tell grandmama something, you tell Jesus and he'll tell her, right? All my dad was doing is just redirecting me towards, and some of us were raised in churches where we were taught to pray to other people, not even knowing. I don't know how they get around that, but that's, that's not for, I ain't judging them either, right? Third commandment is, is uh, don't take my name in vain. And I've been around some of y'all long enough to know some of y'all got some potty mouths in here. Fourth commandment is don't ever skip a day of worship, the Sabbath, but we've all skipped. Haven't we all skipped? Yes or no? Am I, as a preacher, the only pagan in the room? Right? 
And, the fifth, that's, and then the fifth one is, is don't, don't disrespect your parents. Like we're five in, you're five screwed. Am I right? Yes or no? Okay, so when we stand before God, it's not how many times did you go to church. Are you innocent or guilty of breaking my laws? And you can't front then. He's God. Right? You can't, you can't say innocent. he pled innocent because you got to prove it. No. <laughs> He's God. Like you're, you're just like bare. Like just all the, the masks, everything are off. Have you broken my commandments? What will every person in this room say? Yes. If God is good, can he let bad people off the hook? Hold up. Would a good judge let a convicted criminal go free? Not a good judge. So if God is good, he can't let you off the hook. He can't. Your crimes must be paid for. Because he's love, he let an innocent person take your place. But that's why I can't die on the cross for your sins. I got my own sins to pay for. The only person who can pay the price of somebody who's guilty is somebody who's what? Somebody who's innocent. But who has ever lived without ever breaking any of God's laws? Muhammad never claimed that. Moses never claimed that. There's only one person who's ever lived without ever breaking any of God's laws. His name is Class. He's the only one. Now, if Jesus is just a man, then that one man's life would cover how many other men's lives? If he's just a man, then his one life covers how many people? One. But if he is who the Jewish Bible said he would be, that to us a son would be given, a child would be born, a son would be given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father in a diaper. If Jesus is God in the flesh, then how many people's lives is God's life worth? All of them. That's why we need Jesus. That's why it's good news that Jesus died on the cross. The Bible said that God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for you. So Jesus pays the punishment that every single one of us deserve so that we could receive exemption. The Bible says that we stand before God in Christ. What that means is Jesus lives his whole life with his robe without ever getting any dirt on it. I live my whole life getting nothing but dirt on my robe. So what Jesus does is he says, I'll take that for you. And he takes my dirty robe and puts it on himself and he gives me his clean robe. And so when I stand before God, I stand before God in Christ. And I'm judged and I'm blessed as though I was. Right? Like that's the good news. And when Jesus rose from the dead with new life, the whole point was that he didn't just want to pay for your sins. He wanted to give you a new shot at life. That's why this is good news. That's the sermon Peter preached. And I just gave it to you. So here's what happens at the end of his sermon. Acts chapter 2 verse 36 says this. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. That's the end of his sermon. He, he, he tweets it, puts hashtag boom, hashtag mic drop, and walked off social media. Right? That at the end of the sermon, here's what happened. Verse 37, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do with this? Like, I get it. What, but <laughs> how do I get into God's family? Like, how do I do this? Here's what Peter said. Uh, verse 38, Peter replied, 
Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Repent of your sins and turn to God. I mean, that equals the same thing Jesus had said in, in Mark chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 4. It's the first sermon he ever preached. He said, repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Peter gives them the same sermon Jesus gave to him. You need to repent of your sins and turn to God. And then he goes on and says, when you repent of your sins and turn to God, when you get to the place you say, God, I'm sorry for the things that I've done, all the different commandments I've broken, the way I've been selfish towards my fellow man, I receive your payment. Had, had a girl ask me this week, so how do, I, how do I get that? And I said, well, if I'm going to pay for your meal, how do you get that? What do you have to do for it? She goes, I don't know, let you? And I was like, yeah. So she says, so all I have to do to, let, to get Jesus paid for my sins is let them? And I said, essentially, for Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, just ask, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Just ask. Jesus, listen, if you're paying for people's meals here, <laughs> I wouldn't ask, but since you're volunteering, please, here's my bill. Here's my bill, too. Jesus, I'd never ask you to die on the cross for my sins, but since you did and you're willing to pay for mine, I ain't crazy. Please pay for mine, too, and be baptized, he says. Uh, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the sermon. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 says this. Those who believed what Peter said, now that they had believed, were then baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 people in all. Some of you guys, uh, today you're going to get the opportunity to turn from your sin and follow Jesus. You're going to get the opportunity to place your faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection as the only thing that takes away the debt you owe God because of your sins against him and against others. And then your next step, if you actually are going to follow Jesus, is to be baptized. And that's next weekend. And some of you guys right now, you're like, I wasn't even ready for this. Good. You got seven days because your butt's getting dunked next Sunday, right? Like if you're going to follow Jesus, then dang it, let's follow Jesus. So you're like, well, I was already baptized as a kid. All right. That was an expression of whose faith? Your little baby faith or your mom and dad's faith? Like who chose for you to be baptized? You or your parents? Your parents. So it was an expression of whose faith? Theirs or yours? Theirs. So bro, how long are you going to live on borrowed faith? You can't live on somebody else's faith. At some point, dang it, this has got to be your own. And you got to bring this bad boy full circle. What your mom and dad started as a baby, you now got to own for yourself, right? And get your booty dunked, right? So that'll be, that'll be next week. Go to that'sgrace.org slash baptism. If, if, you, if like you're thinking, I, just, I got some more questions. I, I got frequently asked questions in there. And when you get, read, read through that, it's like three paragraphs with three different questions. Um, I think that's how it's formatted. And then at the end it says sign, sign up for baptism. Uh, and and, and that, that, that's next weekend. But I want to be really clear on this. Not everybody is in the household of faith. Not everybody is a child of God. John chapter 1 verse 12 says this. But to all who believed Jesus and received Jesus... He gives the right to become the children of God. Those are the only people who are children of God. Those who believe in Jesus and then receive him. Satan believes Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. What Satan's never done is repented of his sins, turned to God and got his butt dunked. Right? As he ain't never doing. You can believe all the right stuff and still be just on the fringes of the family. In the same way. I fell in love with Billie Jane, and I wasn't married to Billie Jane, but I loved her. Loved her with all of my heart for the rest of my life. But I wasn't married to her until I repented of my single man ways, turned to Billie Jane and said, what two little words? I do. And in that moment, 
I entered into family with Billy Jane. You love God. You know who God is. My question isn't, do you believe in God? Satan believes in God. Lots of people believe in God. My question is, are you ready to get to that place where you go, I do, for rich or for poor, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse? I just messed up the vows, but you get where I'm going with all that, right? Are you ready? Are you ready? Those are the people that he says become the children of God. Uh, verse 13 says of John chapter 1, they are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but with a birth comes from God. We are physically born into an earthly family, but we were spiritually born into a heavenly family. And who is that family? It's us. It's this church. That's what the church is supposed to be. It is a family gathering of those who have believed and received, those who have made Jesus both their Lord, their God, the center of their life, and Messiah, their rescuer from their brokenness. That's what the church is supposed to be. So have you been spiritually born? That's the question. You're going to get the opportunity in just a few minutes. Some of you guys are like, I don't want to wait. I want to do it right now. Okay, go ahead. While I keep talking, you can go ahead and pray and call on Jesus to forgive you and save you also. Turn from your sins and commit to following him with the rest of your life. Say your I do's to God right now and enter into God's family while I keep talking, but you'll get another chance to do this. So now what? What are we supposed to do now? Now we live as brothers and sisters in a screwed up world looking for the opportunity to help the people that we care about most become a part of God's family also. The whole idea is that the only people that ever become a part of God's family are those who receive Jesus and believe in Jesus and re re receive Jesus. Uh, makes me think, what about all the people who haven't heard of Jesus yet? Which is the reason why it's so important that we do things like we're doing in Muslim places like Mombasa with manna, Right? Because if the Bible is true and that they don't enter into God's family unless they accept the only person God sent to pay for their sins, which is Jesus, nobody else qualifies, right? It becomes incumbent on us to make sure that everybody does get a chance to hear, which is the reason why we help the Ballingers go to Mongolia, which is the reason why that we have to help Pastor Joseph in Sierra Leone, which is the reason why we're helping Pastor Lenny in Haiti, which is the reason why we're helping Pastor JP in, um, um, in, 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 in Guatemala, which is the reason why, uh, which is the reason why we, we, we've started, what, how many other churches have we helped start in, in, the, in the past 15 years? Like, like 25, 30 other churches in Boston? Because I've still got friends who live in town who are still spiritually disconnected from God. Like, our church is paying for its bills, but that was never the goal of a church to pay for its stupid light bill. Like, this church will be done when you don't have any more friends that are spiritually disconnected from God. But until we get to that day, bro, we got freaking work to do, right? Nothing's more important than this. Nothing, my job just pays the bills so I can do what I was created for. And that's help everybody on Seaver Street, no one to follow Jesus. And everybody in Stoyak, no one to follow Jesus. And everybody, right? Everybody at the Daw School, everybody at O'Donnell, everybody at the high school, no one to follow Jesus. But in this process, I, or I, I, and the cool thing is I don't have to do this alone. I've got my church family to help me with this. What you need to know is that no family is perfect. How many of you guys come from a perfect family? Let me see the liars in the room. Oh, <laughs> little dude right here. My family is perfect. I thought that too until I was 14 and started hearing stories about everybody else in the family. And I realized, oh, that's why they're not invited to the uh, reunions every year. <laughs> I didn't know any of that stuff. But it's those one and others that make it more than a religious organization. 
If you Google, uh, go to uh, BibleStudyTools.com or Goshen.com or was it Blue Bible Study or something like that. Like there's different Bible study apps. Or just Google Bible verses and then in quotation marks put one another. It's over 100. Over 100. Because God gives us instruction. So while no family is perfect, even though our Father, who art in heaven, is, He's given us instructions on how we are to relate from each other. So while I'm not perfect, I can be improving. I can be becoming a better brother to you in this church family. And that's through those, that's what all those one another's are all about. And the one that we're looking at today with the remaining time that we have left is the loving one another. I, I believe it's the most important. And, and here's what Romans chapter 12 says about that. It says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. And if I'm going to be honest, I'm really good at pretending that I love people. You do this too. We have really brief interactions with people where we, we, we uh, hey, right? Like we, Love you, dude, or, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and, and all he's saying is your, your, your love for people needs to go more than just the things that come out of your mouth. And, and I learned this early on in my marriage, that Billie Jean, like, I thought saying I love you should make her stop being mad at me, right? Have you, anybody else been married for a year? <laughs> you only married a year before you figure out that that ain't working, right? Um, but, and, and it's not that she doesn't want me to say, I love you. Of course she wants to hear that. But she doesn't want to hear that if my actions don't match that. My kids want me to say I love you to them. But they wouldn't want me to say I love you to them if they didn't feel like I loved them. That's what, that's what the scripture means when he says, I want you to love people. No, 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 no. Really love them. Right? Like this needs to mean something. Like, you got to have skin in the game. And that brings me to the first of three points I'm going to share with you about what it means to love one another, and that's this. Love others like Jesus loved you. We're looking at John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, and in verse 34, Jesus said this. So now I am giving you a new commandment. So you got the first ten commandments. I went over five of them already. We're not going to do the other five, but he goes, I'm going to give you number 11. Here's a bonus one. A bonus of ten. Here's 11 commandments now. Number 11 is this. Love each other. And then Jesus does the same thing that the Apostle Paul does. He doesn't just leave it at love each other. He says, no, listen, when I say I love you, when I say you're to, you're to love each other, what I, what I mean is I, I want you to love other people like I love you. And when you look at the way Jesus demonstrated his love for people, it was always with acts of service. Like Jesus demonstrated his love. Man, man, Ephesians chapter 5 describes the love that God has for the church, that Jesus has for the church. Where he, says, that where he says, husbands, you're to love your wife as Jesus loved the church and gave up his life for her. That's what it means, is that I am to put my life at risk for the people that I say I love. And when you look at Acts chapter 2 verse 42 to 47, they, they did that. They met each other's needs. And then when they ran out of liquid cash, they sold things in order to keep blessing people. They were actually an expression. Of, and yes, I know that sounds insane. I'm 51, I'm saving up for retirement too. And what the scripture says is that for me to love other people, what that means is I've got to be willing to put myself at risk if that's what it takes to help you get beyond where you're at. That's what he says. Love others like Jesus loved you. The truth is you can't say you love other people if other people don't feel loved by you. That's the truth. I think most Christians would say that they love everybody. 
Well, do you love people that get abortions? Yes, I love them. Do you love people who are, I don't know, let's go with the hot button issue, is sexually immoral? Yeah, I love them. Do you, do you love, love people like, who are addicts? Yeah, yeah, I love them. That's not the question. The question is, would all three of those groups say that they feel loved by you? That's the question. Like, you can have thoughts and prayers for people. That's... Do something. Don't say you love somebody you're not willing to bless. Because Jesus would say, I, I don't think you do. I don't think you... So let's quit playing games and just be. Be what you say. Love without action is a false, pretend, and authentic kind of love. And we've all heard someone say that they love us but didn't feel it. And it hurt us when they said it. It didn't help us. It actually hurt us. I had a friend named Paul. Uh, not a close friend, more of an acquaintance. And every time we were on the phone, like it was like this thing that he wanted to be able to get up and say that he said, I love you to everybody. But he said, I love you all the time. And like the only time he ever really talked to me is when he needed something from me. And like honestly, like the more he said, I love you, the more I freaking hated his guts. Right? And he was a pastor. So I, I sliced his tires in the name of Jesus. Um, you want me to fix that? I'm not. I'm just going to leave it there. And let you wonder. And that brings me to the second thing I want you to know. You're like, fix that. I'm not fixing it. It wasn't his windows. It was his windshield. That's what it was that I broke. Um, but he didn't know it was me, so we're good. Uh, number two thing I want you to know about loving one another is that loving, love others and they'll know you love Jesus. And that's what Jesus says in John 13, verse 35. He said this. He said, um, Jesus said, uh, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. That's what it does. The one thing that marks every follower of Jesus should be their capacity to love every person they meet. And some of us need to work on that, right? Somebody walked up to one of the pastors last night and said, there's a whole lot of people in the world I, got, I hate, and I got good reason, right? But we know they are, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you don't forgive men their sins against you, neither will your Father forgive you your sins against him. That's a head-scratcher, right? The holy cow. He said, but if you do forgive other people their sins against you, then your Father in heaven will forgive. Jesus even said, if you bring an offering to the temple, and you remember at the door of the temple that you have a problem with somebody else, leave your door, leave your offering at the temple. God don't want that crap. What God wants is a clean heart. Go get reconciled to your brother. Then come back and give your offering. That's what God says. You can't pay me off. I don't care how much you give. If your heart ain't right, we ain't right. That's what God says. And our capacity to love people, that other people say, you, you have no, they don't, they don't deserve your kindness. I know, but I didn't deserve God's either, right? And so he gave me what I didn't deserve, so I should be willing to give them what they don't deserve. And it's, and it's that, that demonstration of capacity to love that's attractive to other people. When Taylor this past week passed a kidney stone, Actually, I don't even know if he's pastor. He was in the hospital for four days. I called his wife. Taylor's the pastor of the Braintree location. And I called his wife to see if she needed, because they didn't get back from the hospital until 4.30 in the morning. So I said, do you, do you need somebody to take the kids to school today? And she said, no, the people in my life, you've got it. Every, everybody's, all of our, 
I don't have to do anything today. Yeah, that's exactly it. When this family loses a baby on Friday and the whole church comes around and supports them, it becomes incredibly attractive to the other people in their family who are still spiritually disconnected from God. When my neighbor across the street, her 37-year-old husband, died in front of Cumberland Farms in front of Beantown Diner a month ago, and the Christians on our street helped pay for her, her funeral expenses. Man, that moves people in her family. They're talking to us about God and our church and everything because they just people don't see this in the world. Like this world is jacked up. Can I get an amen? amen? Right? And God has provided the solution to it. And it is us. But we're just complaining about the brokenness, bro. We're the freaking solution. Do something. In the name of Jesus, do something, right? Can't see my notes. <laughs> Third thing. Last thing I want you to know about loving others, this loving one another part. Number one, uh, Jesus said, love others like, like I loved you. Number two, love others so that they'll know you love me. And then third is, love others so that they know I love them. Love others so that they know I love them. That's what he said. Uh, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it says, But anyone who does not love God does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by doing what? By sending the one. God, demonstrated, God, God didn't just say, thoughts and prayers, and watch the world burn. Right? Like God got involved. He sent his one and only son right into the crap to fix things. That's what God does. That's how, so God showed how much he loved us by sending the one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us so much, surely we should be able to love each other. Verse 12 says, no one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God who lives in us, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. No one has seen God. But when we show love to them, they feel God. That's why we do the feeding centers. That's why we do the high schools in Muslim communities. They should be taking care of their own. Yeah, but they're not. But we can, so dang it, we should. Whether they ever become Christian or not, it doesn't matter. Right? This is what Christians do. We love people because God loves us. And when we love people, they feel God loving them. And then that verse says, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression. When they feel loved by us, they will believe that they are loved by God. When those of us who claim to follow Jesus love people unexpectedly, they learn that our Father loves them also. And verse 12 says that if we love each other because God lives in us, then his love is brought to full expression. When we don't love each other, it's God's love that is hindered for them. That's what's at stake with this. Now, no church is perfect, like I said, and that includes Grace Church. You know why Grace Church isn't perfect? Because, bro, you got me as your lead pastor. I got ADD, something freaking fierce. <laughs> Right? If you know me, man, I have a hard time. You go into, woo. Anyway. So I get in trouble at home for all the stuff I say in the pulpit because my brain thought it, so I felt like I had to say it. 
right? And uh, everybody in my family knows that I'm a flawed person. And so, I, man, if your pastor screwed up, but what, what, what hope does the rest of the church, church have? Church is screwed up because you're in it. Because I'm in it. So we're going to bump into each other and leave bruises from time to time. And while I can't be perfect, I can be improving. So what I want you to do is I want you to focus on those areas that you can improve in.